Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are love. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, um, as you know, we've been on a series and if you do not know and you're joining us today, we're on a series and it's titled More Than a Letter. And the reason why we wanted to get into this series is because Peter is attacking so many important things, uh, theological and doctrinal issues and church issues, brotherhood and sisterhood issues. And, and, and he's, he's really focusing on some very, very important stuff as he's writing to the early church. And I love this letter as I was reading it on my own time. I felt strongly to take time, as much time as we needed, and to share it here on Sundays and to go through these verses with, with you guys. And I know for me it's been a blessing uh, to be jumping into First Peter. And I pray for, for you it has been as well. There's different ways of preaching the word, whether it's... Uh, in an expository form, or whether it's verse by verse, whether it's topical, and so on and so forth. I'll never stand up here and say one is the correct way above all, uh, because Jesus used to love to tell stories, and then he would wrap it up. So you go tell Jesus that he preached wrong, if you want. So what I'm trying to tell you is, this, this form is a little bit different, but I'm having a blast in the word of God. I hope you guys are too. Amen? In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, as we get into more than a letter, because that's what this is, more than a letter, it's truth to our very own souls, truth to our very own minds, truth for our spiritual walk. I wanted to title this when you live for God. And one of the things that struck me in this scripture and as we read through this is God's grace. We've all been touched by God's grace. How do I know we've all been touched by God's grace? Just because you woke up this morning. You've been touched by God's grace. Because of God's grace, today I was exercising, and as I was exercising, uh, I started to play with my thoughts, you know, and I said, Lord, not only do I do this for you, Lord, but I do this because of you. And those are two different statements. When we do something, when we serve the Lord, right, we serve for the Lord, but we also serve because of the Lord. We do things for the Lord, and we also do things because of the Lord. Why? Because if it wasn't for his grace, would I even be able to do what I'm doing? So, so because of the Lord is so important as well. Not just for the Lord, but because of the Lord. And think about where you're at today. Not for the Lord, but because of the Lord in your life. How many of you could give testimony and could share some stories of, of what God has done in your life. And that you could come up here and you could say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I do not know where I would be today. How many of you? If we were honest, every single one of us would be like, me. If it wasn't for the grace of God. Now, what's so important about this grace? This is what's so important. Because every single one of us has been touched by the grace of God. Here's a very important word if you're taking notes, which you should be. We say that every Sunday. Write this down. If you've been touched by the grace of God, something very important is this, ready? Now you are responsible for it, meaning you are stewards of the grace of God. Did you see that? I know that. We don't want to be responsible for that stuff. Anything that God, I don't want to be responsible for that. Let God be responsible for God. 
It's almost like saying, right, the death of the cross. How many of you can thank Jesus for the death of the cross and the resurrection? Okay, let's not leave him on the cross. All right, that's fine. But how many of you know, now know that you're also what? Responsible for that. Do you like to hear that? It's not just like, don't take it lightly and be like, oh, he died on the cross because he loves me so much. And what are you doing? How are you a steward of it? How are you responsible? And I think that's what's important in today's text, that we are stewards of God's grace. You should write that down in your notes. We are stewards of God's grace. We are responsible for the grace that has been given to us. You may be sitting here like, what do you mean? God is fully responsible. He's the one that did it. If he didn't want to do it, he shouldn't have done it. Well, he did it. He gave you his grace. But now he requires on your end to live responsibly with the grace that has been given to you. So, so you can't just throw everything back on God. You know what I'm saying? Like when everything's going good, psh, we wave the flag. God is good. But when the poop hits the fan, what do we do? We get mad at God and we question God. No, God remains good whether there's poop or no poop hitting fans. You, you see what I'm saying? We're responsible in our life. Like when God went to Eden and said, Adam, where are you? Right? You know, he could have walked over there and be like, well, God, you know, and he did. He tried it. He said, well, the woman you gave me. And the woman's like, well, the serpent you put. Everyone said, you know, all these. At the end of the day, what was God drawing men to? Be responsible. I gave you this beautiful garden. I gave you the beautiful trees. I gave you the beautiful water and the fruit. What have you done with it? You see what I'm saying? How many of you were, were, were begging for a marriage? And then you get divorced? Be responsible for it. How many of you wanted children? And then you go to bed saying, I can't stand my child? Be responsible. Okay, it's funny, but it's true. <laughs> Be responsible for the things that have been given. Right? To whom much is given? Be responsible. Be responsible. If we've encountered such a grace, the grace of God, then we must ask this question. How have we managed our lives from that point forward? If the grace of God has touched my life, how have I managed my life? Each one of us is to give an account for that. I know, I, I know there, 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 is, there is nothing in me that is not 100% sure of this. I am 100% sure that I will stand before the presence of my God one day. I will stand before the presence of Yahweh. And I will be held accountable for my own life and then for other things as well. And I thought about that and I should, you should, we should never take God's grace so lightly. And here's why, because we see it as a, as a free gift that has been given to us. One that we'd all agree that none of us deserve. I, I don't, and hopefully you would say, I don't deserve God's grace. But yet, we come to grasp that it wasn't free at all. The grace of God, it took the crucified and the death of God's son to grant us such a what? undeserved privilege that's what the grace of God is something that's been given to me that I definitely do not deserve 
So when you have encountered this grace and truly encountered the grace of God, here is something that I want you to write down. When the grace of God has encountered you or you've encountered it, vice versa, together, it's a relationship. Here it is. You no longer live. Did you hear me? You no longer live. You don't live. What I mean by that is you don't live just to live. Here's what I mean. You now live for God. You live for God. Remember I told you to look at someone and say, hey, you live for God. You live for God. And I want every single one of us here to know this, that we live for God. You live for God. Let's get into 1 Peter chapter 4. That's kind of like a little introduction there. But in verse 1, we, we're going to go ahead and start reading. And in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves. Everyone say, arm yourselves. I don't know how you guys feel about arms and arming yourself. But, but, but here's scripture. He says, arm yourselves. I know how I feel about it. I'm just asking, I don't know how you guys feel about it. But he says, arm yourselves. You must arm yourselves, but what am I going to arm myself with? What do you carry? Arm yourself. And this is what he says. You arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had. And be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished or you have ceased with sin. So it's, the weaponry is different than the weaponry on earth. You see that, right? You caught that right off the bat? Verse 1, we'll get into that. Verse 2, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires or your human passions. But you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have, verse 3, had enough in the past of the evil things. How many of you have had enough of the past? Okay. I just had enough of the past. You've had enough of the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. You know, sometimes we come to Christ like, I'm just tired of the past. But many times, if you've ever been serving the Lord long enough, the same individual that say, I'm just tired of the past, you'll notice that they what? They start to pick up the same habits, and where do they go? They return to the same past in which God freed them from. It's the same heart that the children of Israel had in the wilderness when they started to complain, and they said what? Moses, it's better for us to be back in Egypt. And what? Be in bondage and slavery again? Yes, take wrong mentality, the wrong heart to have. Many believers go through that. They see the red, they see the seas open up. They see miracles every day in their life. I mean, beautiful things that God has done, but something happens where they begin to open up their hearts again to the things of this world, to the father of lies, and what, what happens to them? They go back to their past. I, I know I'm not, I, I know we could all, maybe we've been there actually. Maybe we could say, wait a minute, I, I, I've, that's happened to me. So this is what he says. Verse 3, you've had enough of the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Look, what, what is it that godless people enjoy? Immorality and lust. They're feasting and drunkenness and wild parties. And wild parties there, in this translation, it's keeping it very clean. And they're terrible worship of idols. This is what worldly, this is what, this is what people without the Lord, what they're, how they're enjoying their lives. They're just letting their lives waste. They're living for their flesh to fill their sinful habits. You read verses 1, 2, and 3, reading these verses, it's obvious that Peter is writing to believers. This would not be a, a letter that you're like, to the unbeliever, I write you this. Like, 
It's obvious that it's people that have already come to trust the Lord and know God and, and are saved. Those who have been touched and transformed, as we said, by the grace of God. Think about that. Writing a letter like this would not make sense to an unbeliever. Why do I say that? Let's go back to verse 3. Think about this for a moment. Can you imagine opening up this scroll, opening up this letter, and this is what you read. You've had enough in your past evil things that the godless people do, that enjoy their immorality and lust, their feasting, their drunkenness, their wild parties, their terrible worship of idols. So the recipients of this letter are those that are what? Have been transformed. There's something in you that woke up this morning and decided to what? I'm going to go to church. That's a good thing. You decided to get around people of faith. You decided to worship together, to sit and get under the word of God together. I'm sorry to tell you this, but God is working in your life. Whether it's your first time hearing, listening, watching, or your first time sitting here. Whatever it is, the reality is God's doing something. What's happening? The grace of God is working in your life. Every single one of you. I believe that 100%. So as, you, as we open this, as recipients of this letter, we understand this because there's something in, in, in us, maybe it's all of us, that are like, yes, I don't want this lifestyle anymore. Because for most of us, verse 3, we what? We, 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 uh, we basked under this lifestyle, and what did it do? It produced nothing good. How many of you lived a lifestyle of verse 3, and all it did was bring you, it was fun, you had a great time, you enjoyed it. My God, do you have stories to tell? But how many of you can say it's brought more problems than it did bring good problems? It's brought more, it's, it's made, made it worse. And that's what I'm trying to tell you with verse 3. Who wants to go back to this, to this lifestyle? Some of us are what? Are tickling are flirting with it. Be careful. It's not a respecter of persons. It's going to swallow you whole. Oh, I just, I do it every once in a while. I do it only when I hang out with these kind of friends. You better be careful that it doesn't open its mouth and swallow you. And when you're in the belly of that nasty beast, like, how did I get here? Well, you're tickling its whiskers. It hates you alive. You guys feel me? All right. Amen. But when you read verses 1, 2, and 3, not much has changed from unbelievers from the first century with the unbelievers in today, with the, in the 21st century. When you read verse 3 with me right now, that was in Peter's day. Peter's day, some thousands of years ago. How many of you read that like, man, nothing's changed today. Nothing's changed. People are still living in their lust and morality, feasting in their drunkenness and their wild parties. Yeah, maybe... The idols look a little bit different today, but we're still worshiping false idols. And we begin here with Peter, and he's telling the church what? All right, with everything that I'm telling you, what does he say? He tells them to arm themselves. Arm yourself. You should write that down. Arm yourselves. Take up your weapon. Take up your weapons. So what is in this scripture, the weapons? Well, he says it. He defines it clearly. He doesn't give the church any reason to look around and say, I don't know what he's talking about. No, you do know what I'm talking about because I've already warned you and told you. And he says what? Have the same attitude he has. The ESV says it this way, the same way of thinking as he does. Or the New King James says it this way, arm yourselves also with the same mind. That's exactly what we spoke about last week. He's continuing on the tangent of the mind, the mind of Christ. So our greatest weapon 
the best way to arm ourselves daily as we walk in this world is to have the mind of Christ. How many of you had the mind of the flesh, the mind of Regal, the mind of Carlos, the mind of... You had your own mind, and my gosh, you know that when you put your head back in the pillow that night, on the pillow, you said, my goodness, did I not function with the mind of Christ today? I said some things to some people that I should have never said. Am I the only one that does that? I did some things that I should have never did. I dropped the ball on some areas. So he says, arm yourselves, take up your weapons, and let it be the mind of Christ. The flow of this letter continues in this. We spoke last week about having a common mind or one mind. It's a great message. Go back and hear it because I think there's some things that are connected there for you to fully understand this message this week. So in order to fight the good fight successfully, believers must take on the same mind as Christ. Many come, get saved. They start to give testimony. They begin to fight the good fight. Because I love this. Ready? You get saved. How many of you want to get saved? We get saved, right? Woo, amen, we get saved. Then what does the Lord do you? Awesome, go in the ring and fight. But what do you mean? I just got saved. Right, now it's your turn to fight. I love that, that the Lord saves us, but then what? He calls us what? Fighters. You what, what do you do now? You fight. Well, I, I thought I just got saved. You did. I saved you. But now you have to what? Get in the ring and fight. For how long? Daily. What do I have to fight? Sin. Till when? Till you come and reign with me. You fight sin for the rest of your life. Fight sin doesn't mean that you constantly fall and get off. Fight sin might be like learn to conquer it in the ring. Conquer sin. For how long? Conquer it for the rest of your life. Fight it. So we need the mind of Christ to fight successfully. We take that on. Philippians, if you haven't taken notes, write this down. Chapter 2, verse 5 teaches us just this. Paul writes that to the church of Philippi. That we need the mind of Christ to fight successfully in this ring that we are in. We need the mind of Christ. Come on, say that with me. I, I need the mind of Christ. I sure do. Every single day, every single moment, I need it. Why? This mind right here, hmm, man, it could think some things. Leave it alone for a little while. Let it go on a hiatus. Let it go into a little cave and let it get all messed up and it's, it's wiring here. And you'll, 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 start, to, you'll start to listen to what my lips begin to say because of what's already in my mind and in my heart. I mean, trust me, I know what it's capable of. So what do I have to do? I have to put on the mind of Christ. We are called to do that. We are called, listen to this, to have victory. Everyone say victory. How many of you like to win? I like to win. If you're on my team in anything, guess what? We're not losers. We're going to win. We have to win. Sometimes I need some redemption and some grace. I, I got to do whatever we got to do to win too. I won't say what we do for it, but... But we win. We train hard. We win. We train hard. That's what we do. That's what I meant. We train hard. (laughs) We're called to win. We're called to victory. And specifically, what are we called to victory in? I don't know if I said that right, but we're called to have victory over. There you go. Over. Over sin. Have victory over sin. In the constant battle that we face, we know that victory doesn't always come easily. How many of you are in the battle and you're in the ring? You're like, my God, I don't understand why you Christians all complain. Life is easy. Sometimes I'm like, what? Where? When? How? How did they do it? Because nothing, some things have, but most things do not come easy in my life. Some things are called for what? For you to fight, endure. 
persevere, conquer. And it's for how long? For a long time. For a long time. <laughs> We're called to have victory in this constant battle. Notice what I called it. Constant, not, not period, periodical. Yeah, that word. Constant, though. Not sometimes. Constant. Why, why constant? Unless, unless this, ready? Unless we, unless we remain defeated by the sin which we're not willing to sacrifice. I love that we spoke about sacrifice this morning. I was like, yes, yes, I'm preaching on that. How many of you know that God sacrificed his only son, his, his one unique son for you? Doesn't that sound beautiful? And then, how, come on, I'll call you up here right now. What have you had to sacrifice for him? See how one could sound so, oh, yeah, and then it was like, oh. But they both should be, yeah, I've sacrificed. I read these voice of martyrs, and we've done that here at church, and these people that have, have family members killed or and how they laid down their lives for the things of the Lord, and how they sacrificed, and how they're living in victory, even in death. They're like a victor. Like, I'm like, you're insane. And they're insanely just in love with the Lord. And, I'm, and I want to make sure you hear this again. There must be a willingness to sacrifice in this battle. You're in the ring, you're fighting, there's a battle, and you need to be willing to sacrifice. Can I be very honest with you? Because I think Peter's very honest to the church. Here it is, ready? If you're not willing to sacrifice in the battle, you're not going to make it long in the faith. That's the reality of it. To to persevere in the faith, it's a long-term sacrificial life. What do you mean by that? What I mean is you and I no longer live for ourselves. Oh, the title of today's message is what? We live for God. And that's the reality of it. I have to sacrifice, not just one time, for all of you guys that are sharing testimonies of 10 years ago of how you sacrificed, there's something wrong. It wasn't a sacrifice of 10 years ago. It's a sacrificial lifestyle that continues for the rest of your life unless you remain defeated by the sin that you're not willing to sacrifice and by the things that you're not willing to sacrifice. Amen? You live for God. You see how deep the word of God is? Peter says that if you have the same mind of Christ and you're willing to what? What does he say in these verses? You're willing to suffer. Can you imagine if I would have started today's message with, hey, we're going to start today's message, open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. Before I start anything, I want to ask all of you one question. Ready? How many of you come up here to the front if you're willing to suffer today? You're like, ah, that's not why I came to church. I came because I heard you're selling burgers. I came because the AAC is cold and it's hot outside. I mean, that's how the early church was, like, shh, they're right around the corner. Like, they, they would get together in, in places all over the world. When they get together, they give what? They tell stories of what? Of how their house got ransacked and people were taken and beaten and killed and, and how yet they're still holding the, the faith. And, I mean, crazy stories. I know. We're blessed to live here. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30, because as Peter is telling us to have the same mind of Christ, that we need to be willing to suffer. And in suffering, as I'm suffering, I'm willing to suffer. Please listen to this. Now this means that, that I'm suffering for him. I'm suffering for him. And because of that, now I'm conquering. 
In my, this, is, this is only in, in the faith, man, only in the things of God. In my suffering, I also find what? Conquering. In suffering, there is conquering. And what am I conquering? Daily, I'm conquering sin. Watch how, you think Peter is speaking rough? Well, watch how his leader speaks. Watch how his master speaks. Watch how his teacher speaks. Ready? Matthew chapter 5, 29, 30. Tell me if you like these verses. And then, we'll, we'll, then I'll ask you a question. Who do you think said it? All right, ready? Here we go. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. <laughs> For, I know it's not funny, but it, it is. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. All right, who do you guys think said that? Yeah, this is Jesus. So Peter lightened it up a little bit. <laughs> Peter's like, I remember one day Jesus told me this. Like, let me tell you what. So this is very important because Jesus is not necessarily saying, hey, seriously, like, Grab the pig, stick in your eye, and pop it out. He's not necessarily telling you all today to go home and rip your eyes off and go home and saw off your arms, your hand. That's not what Jesus is telling you. I hope you're getting the heart of the message of Jesus. He's using these forms to tell you that what? He's taking the sacrifice very serious. That if you're willing to serve me and there's things in your life that are causing you to what? Not serve me well. To not what? Fully live in obedience in me. Then it's what? Then it's worth it being cut off from your life. So that what? That your whole body then does not suffer in hell. It's better that you what? Go to heaven, man, with parts missing than go to hell with your full body intact you better learn to what to live sacrificing the things in your life that are what that are drawing you away from God come on you should be excited for that because you've all made those choices in your life every single one of you is what is living in a sacrifice you wish you could do certain things come on be honest here in church but you don't why because you love God am I the only one that's fronting man because there are some things that I'm sure I would enjoy <laughs> Do we have to say it like that so that we could all get it? Because I would enjoy some things, but because God loves me and I love him, I choose to live in obedience rather in disobedience to fulfill my flesh than to live, what, honoring the glory of God. You see what he's calling you into? You're in a ring and you're doing what? You're fighting and when you go to fight, when you fight, then what do you notice? Sometimes the person you're punching and throwing blows at, your opponent who's running towards you, it's not even this red pitchfork, curly tail, dragon breathing being. When you look at him, it's you and you're fighting against yourself. And you're like, God's like, get in the ring and fight. Fight who? Fight yourself. How often? Daily you fight yourself. And you are, you conquer your flesh. You conquer those things that continue to bring you down. I know someone in here, God, you needed this word for today. You thought I was going to tell you to go fight someone else, huh? Yes, I love this church. I'm going to fight today. And I just bur bursted your bubble by saying you're going to fight yourself. Apiñazo, like to yourself. <laughs> you're going to come to church, eyes missing, beat up. Busted lips, like, what'd you do? I took your word literally. <laughs> Fight. So good, Lord. So this is speaking of the spiritual state of the victorious sufferer. 
Because there are some things that we enjoyed in our lives, but because we've come and been touched by the grace of God, it's been worth suffering, losing that. Hmm. It's been worth the suffering for losing that. Man, do I wish I could go back and do that just one more time, but it's worth suffering for Christ. And in suffering, I find myself, what, having constant victory. Well, when is God going to take this away from me? Maybe never. Why? So you could continue to, what, experience victory through the suffering. The word of God is beautiful. The victorious suffer. We carry the promise of triumph that we have effectively broken. Broken from a life that is dominated by sin. Did you live a life that was dominated by sin? But now you live what? Broken from that. Please listen to what I'm about to tell you. It does not mean that you no longer commit or that there is absolutely no sin in your life because then you're saying that you are 100% sinless and that means that you are what? You're 100% what? Righteous and, 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 and you're fully without sin and you're, you're pretty much Jesus Christ. But what I mean by this is totally different. It's that your old life you're no longer what? Dominated by the power of sin. That has been terminated. See that? You're operating under a new system. And the old system of lifestyle has been terminated. How many of you have read the scriptures? I'm a new creation. It's almost like what? An, like a, a whole different, I've been what? Reprogrammed. And because I've been reprogrammed, I am what? I am now... I'm now dominated by a whole other person. I'm no longer dominated by my flesh or by the spirits of this world, by the pleasures of this world, the power of sin, all that has been terminated. I now what? Come on, church. I now live for God. And this comes from a sacrificial life that has laid their lives down, a person who's laid their life down and is willing to suffer for Christ rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin in this world. The Christian that comes up and says, oh, the pleasures of sin in this world are so boring. Get over it. The reality is what? As Christians, what? We've fallen in love with the goodness of God rather than the pleasures of this world. So what do we do? We've got to live in obedience to it. As much as our flesh sometimes gets out of line, no. Remind yourself we live in obedience. We have to be very honest. Come on, you live for God. Godless people, verse 3, they're enjoying their, their what? Their immorality, their lust, their drunkenness, their wild parties, their idolatries. Come on, not you. You're not a drunkard. You don't live in orgies and you don't live in your lust anymore. You don't live in idolatry. Come on, you, you live out different before this world. What do we say in worship? We are a city set up on a hill. We are light. Amen? Verse 4. In regard to these, because of how you live next to them, in regard to these, they think it's strange. <laughs> You're strange. Welcome to, to the strange family. Uh, that's why I love that, that we, we believe this stuff, you know, and, and I'm not normal, but in that not normal, yes, I know I'm strange. I love when people say, You're so weird. You're so strange. I know. The Bible calls it. Paul says, What? We've been called spectacles 
Us apostles, he says, have been called spectacles for the case of... So like, I'm okay, I'm a spectacle, I'm strange, I'm weird, whatever you want. But I know one thing for sure, I'm not normal. And in not being normal, I'm called to be what? Remarkable. And he says in verse 4, uh, these things, these people, they, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. How many of the people you used to run with? They just think it's strange now because you don't run with them. You're a little bit different. If you go on a run with them, you, they, they start to notice, like, oh man, kind of stinks hanging out with you now because you're kind of different now. It's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood. Look what he says of, of dissipation, speaking now evil of you even. Another translation says, they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living and they slander you. Such good reminders that while, while others who are not in Christ may live wild, out of order, what do we do? We live in order to please God, in the order of God. When we don't participate in the sin around us, what happens, <clears throat> sometimes what happens is we begin to convict those who practice these things. So when someone makes fun of you, when it's a family member, someone you love, someone that was close to you, your best friend now begins to what? Isolate themselves a little bit from you. I am sure we've all been there. I'm telling you today what's happening is your life of godliness is, to party, is probably convicting them for practicing in their sin. And that's what happens to the believer. And that's what Peter is telling the church. And they don't like that because they don't like that often. It leads them to speak evil of you. Like if you're the evil one. Have you noticed in this world that we're living in now? It's getting there very close. Us Christians, we're going to be called the evil ones. We're bigots. We don't understand. The Christians will be the bad guys very soon. Very soon. Because why? We're not going to follow the pattern of this world. And there's going to be moments, man, where some churches are going to have to sacrifice some things. We're going to have to sacrifice some things. Mark my words. We'll go back and rewind this tape. We're going to have to sacrifice some things, what? To please God rather than what? Than to fall into the order of this world. There's going to be a time where all that's going to flip. And, the, and the, those that believe in the word, man, they're going to be looked at as the ones, man, that are, that are evil, that don't understand, that are not accepting, and all these different things. And that's what happens when we live in godliness. This has been God's heart always. For those who follow him, let me, let me just flow through some scripture. And there were so many. I just chose two, and then I'll go back to 1 Peter 4. In Leviticus 18, Old Testament, here's what he tells Moses in verse 2, chapter 18, Leviticus. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am Yahweh your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live, or follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You must not follow their customs, for you are to practice my ordinances. You are to keep my statutes by following them I am Yahweh your God come on we live for God we live for God we live for God so when Egypt comes and starts to breathe heavy on us and when Canaan says hey this is how Canaan rules we say well my scripture says that I am in this world but I am not of it I am a citizen of another kingdom and we tend to operate a little bit differently we don't accept some of the same things that you accept and we don't do some of the same things that you do and we don't stand for some of the same things that you stand for why? because heaven is alive in us God's heart has awoken in us. Paul says to the church of Ephesus in chapter 4, Ephesians, verse 17, 18, and 19, with the Lord's authority, I say this. I'm thinking if he were to say it, that's how he would say it. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. 
Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And then Peter says what? Verse 3, chapter 4, we read it. We'll read it again. For you've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, terrible worship of idols. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. What are they all saying? What is Yahweh saying? What is Moses saying? What is Paul saying? What is Peter saying? Church, I hope you're getting it. You live for God once and for all. You live for God. You live for God. Verse 5 says, and they, everyone say they, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But I, I, want, I want you to see this as we said we live for God. And, and Peter points, wait a minute, I get that you're not fitting in this world. They will give an account. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, read the whole chapter actually. But in Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15, it tells us clearly That there are consequences to what what they do. Who are they? Unbelievers who what decide to what live in wickedness. There are consequences to what they do. One day they will stand. Listen to this. Defenseless. I don't care how smart they think they are, or how many degrees they have under their belt, or how many stations on television they come out and they spill their ideas on. When they stand before God because of their wickedness teachings and their wickedness lifestyle, Revelation 20 says they will stand defenseless before God. When they try to speak a word, they're going to have to swallow their words because they won't be able to come out. All their knowledge will will shrink before the knowledge of God will wither. Defenseless before God, Revelation 20. And they will have to give account for all of their wickedness. You read these verses, and, 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 and these verses, verse 5, and especially verse 6. Verse 6 has been interpreted in so many different ways, and I don't have the four different views or whatnot. But, but in truth is, I don't see in Scripture where anyone can get a second chance to be saved after death. It's, 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 it, it, this is very clear. But what I'm seeing throughout all the verses that we're reading, through the, through the letter that Peter is writing, I see a graceful God who allows the gospel to continue to be preached to those who are right now spiritually dead, that they could receive the gospel and become what? Spiritually alive once and for all. Verse 7, he, he, Peter goes on, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. How many of you just heard that? How many of you said, you, you saw, especially like when, when the Rona hit, the Lord's coming soon. Like the rapture, like eschatology was big last year. Pa- church and everyone, like it's the end times. <laughs> and I'm like, it's been the end times since right here, since, since the day of Pentecost, the bell was wrong. That's the beginning of the end times. That was the trumpet. We're, we're there. We're in the end times right there. We're there. It's end times. 
So we've been in the end times. And you're like, but my grandma's grandma's been saying that. Of course, a thousand years in heaven is like a day on earth. It's not your timetable. It's not your framework. It's the way he wants to do it and how he wants to do it. There's some things that still have to unfold on this earth. But they're unfolding. And here's Peter kind of saying the things that we still say today in verse 7. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. I mean, we're still saying that. But still saying that does not mean that it's not true. Still saying it what? It's confirming that it's what? 100% still accurate. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that you're still repeating the same things Peter says? Yeah, and if I live to be 100 years old, I'm going to continue to say what? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, what? Because the end of all things is at hand, church, please listen to this. Be serious. Everyone say serious. serious. Yes, in what? Not, not like in life, like, oh, I'm just serious. I'm a Christian. No, have a good time. Smile. Let people like you. Goodness. <laughs> but be serious about the things of God. Be serious about, here, here, here well, let's see what he says. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Why would Peter, have you noticed that we don't get off prayer? Why would he write to the church continuously about prayer? Because he knew that the church was going to what? Lack in prayer. And here we are, 2021, correct? 2021. And what is one of the greatest things that we are still struggling with, church? Be honest. It's your prayer life. It's prayer, and he says, be watchful and serious about it. The end of all things at hand. If we really believe that we live in the last days, it is all more what? Important, appropriate to say that we give ourselves specifically, especially to what? Prayer. For living the last days, pray more. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Peter is urging the church to be serious in this. Be serious in your prayers. We must give ourselves over to serious prayer as we see the weight of eternity rushing towards us, coming towards us. We dare never to take the need of prayer lightly and say, oh, prayer, I'll just do that. When I no, pray and pray often and pray heavily. Pray, teach people to pray. Pray all the time. Pray, watchful in your prayers. Give yourself over to watchful prayer. I hope you're taking notes. Primarily just having your hearts, your minds watching and ready specifically for the return of Jesus Christ. And this also means watching, watching ourselves and watching this world, measuring our readiness for Jesus' coming. Come on, everyone, grab the word that you have in front of you. Maybe it's a device. Maybe it's pages. The greatest thing that you could do is take out this ruler. Take out this measuring. And just measure yourself before the mirror. Watch yourself and, and measure yourself and say, am I ready? Am I living in readiness for the return of Jesus Christ? Or are we still dealing with petty, immature nonsense that has nothing to do with readying ourselves for the coming of the Lord? Come on. This is beautiful what Peter is writing to the church. It's so powerful. In verse 8 and 9, he says, above all things, we're going to wrap it up soon, give me a moment, above all things, look what he says, come on, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. You know what Peter is doing? He's quoting Old Testament, specifically, he's quoting Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. 
And then he says in verse 9, be hospitable to one another without what? Grumbling. Oh, God, I should have never invited them. I should have never treated them good. I really can't stand this person, but I'm going to hang out with them because that's what I have to do. No! You're not having a hospitable heart. You're what? You're serving them, but you're still serving them with a bad heart. You might as well not serve them today. Because what? Your service was wasted. How many of you come to church? Oh, God, I'm on the schedule today. You know, you have to teach kids. It's your day to teach kids. Oh, God, they always put me twice a month and I can't leave. Said, oh. Don't serve that day. Why? Because you're already coming grumbling. Please don't serve my son or my daughter. Because you're going to look at them and he's going to say something because my son will. And you're not going to treat him with the love of Christ. Like, come on, don't grumble. Oh, God, I got to worship today. I'm going to lead for 15 times. Well, I'll come every Sunday, and I'm going to serve every Sunday, and I'm going to preach every Sunday, and I'll have a word every single Sunday. And I'm not going to come up here going, oh, God, I have to preach. No, I'm going to preach today, and I'm going to serve God well, and I'm going to serve you well. I'll go out there right now. I'll tell you to come over here and share testimony. I'll go cook you burgers. That's the attitude we have. Come on, church. We're hospitable with one another without grumbling. Proverbs 10, 12, as Peter was quoting that, here's what it says. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers offenses. Not just offenses, but all offenses. What we need more of is love. We need more love. Not the love of this world, the love of God. Why? Because my goodness, do you need to what? Cover all offenses. The multitudes of sin, hatred just stirs up strife. Amen? Come on, without grumbling, serve God. Serve him well. Serve each other well. Fervent love for one another. Some of you guys can't even stand each other. I know it. I know it. Why? Because I've been in the church long enough to know that I walk in and I'm like, they took my seat and they know I don't like that. Like, man, love each other. Wow. Get over it. Love one another. Fervent love for each other. Get over the babiness. Amen. Jesus is coming and you're going to reign in heaven and you're not going to go with that little attitude into heaven. Come on, soldiers, warriors, mighty men and women of God in the age that we're called to live in. I love how the New King James, the commentary puts it. Peter is not suggesting that that one Christian's love atones for another Christian's sins because that's an all the topic. But rather by introducing this proverb in chapter 10, verse 12 of Proverbs, he is reminding us that love does not stir up sins. doesn't make it worse. Hey, what you did was still wrong. But I'm not going to come as a believer and what? Stir up the sin. That is what? You're just as wrong as they are now. And that's what Peter is saying. You're what? You're greater. You're what? Be the better person. What? Be mature about it. Oh, well, that person did that, so I'm going to stir up the sin. No, fool, get back in place and be a better person. I'm speaking to myself, amen? I'm speaking to myself. He is reminding us of that. We can demonstrate our love for our fellow believers by truly forgiving them. Come on. And not talking openly about them or about even their past sins. All right, verse 10 and 11. You know what? I'm going to wrap it up in verse 11, but I have some scriptures that I want to tie to it. Verse 10 says this, because we're talking about the church now. Come on, we live for God. Say say it with me. All right, the burgers are almost done. Yeah? All right, here we go. Verse 10. They need, they need, he needs three more minutes on the grill, so give me a moment. I have, to, I have to stretch my message for three more minutes because he needs three more minutes on the burgers. 
Verse 10. As each one has received a gift. Come on, how many of you have received a gift? Don't sit here and say, I don't think I have a gift. You have a gift. You have a gift. You have a gift. And here's what he says in verse 10. Peter speaking to the church. He says what? You ministered. I like this because I'm going to take my time on this. Ready? As each one of you has been given a gift. What do you do with that gift? Take it out of your pocket. Take it out of your hair. Just take it out. Here's what you do. Ready? You minister to one another. But look how you minister to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See how your gift, your service, and his grace is all tied together? Come on, let me ask this question again. How many of you have received a gift? Oh, now you don't want to raise your hands. All of you like, have a gift earlier. Like, one of the greatest purposes for that gift is to use it to serve this house. And if you're not serving this house with that gift, what are you doing for the brotherhood by not using your gift to serve them? You with me? Use your gift. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Hey, I want to be a servant. I want to serve. I want to lead. Good. You're going to be on the schedule, what, every single Sunday. But I don't get no breaks. No, Monday through Saturday is your break. (laughs) That's the mentality we have. Yeah, but you got to give me some times to receive. And when am I going to sit there and, and, no, we receive Monday through Saturday. What do we do on Sunday? We come and give it all. We come and what? We come and minister it to each other. You guys don't like that preaching. I like it. We come and minister to each other. We come and speak it to each other, live it as good stewards of the various, of the varied or the manifold grace of God. Amen. Each one has received a gift. Now you minister to one another. Love will show itself as we give to the family, to the church, what God has given to us as gifts. And as we do so, we're good stewards. We're responsible for this many, for this varied, many faceted, this manifold, that scripture says, grace of God that's been given to us. All right, let's go to verse 11. He says, now if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If, I, love, I love that I'm in the back and I'm walking here and I saw two of my brothers right here in the front before we started church. And I'm like, they're probably like chimiando, you know? They're probably talking like foolishness about a sport, about something that happened in the week. So I'm walking, and I cut right in front of them. And they were preaching to one another. No, because you know the word. And I'm like, heck yeah. Heck, they were just like egging each other on. And I say, wow, they're, they're just what? In the manifold grace of God, they're what? They're just ministering God's gift to each other. And church hadn't even started, but it started right there in that conversation. You guys know what I'm saying? And, and that's so important, so beautiful. Every part is important. If, if, if we're called to minister, if anyone ministers, we do it with the ability. Man, look, look what he says. If anyone speaks, speak the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, verse 11, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I serve unto you but I serve because of him, for him as well. And because of that, put me on 100% of a, put me on 100 out of 100. 
And guess what? We're going to still do it good with a good heart. We're going to still do it right. Why? Because that's what I've been called to do. How many of you have been called to serve? Come on, that's what you've been called to do. You serve each other. You serve him. Uh, I was reading this little thing as I was studying, and it talks about a man who is rebuild, <laughs> who's rebuilding the engine of his lawnmower. Because I'm talking about every part. Every part is important. Each has its job to do. Every single one of you has its job to do. Even the smallest, least, what seems to be the least important part of the body is very important because when it comes off, you notice, man, that, that is missed. It's so important. When one person lacks in their gifts here, I, I, I mean this, the church struggles. And it could be the most, you might think it's the most foolish gift, but they're not doing it. So guess what? We're not as good as we could be. Why? Because they decided today, I'm not going. Today, you know what? I've had enough. I'm not going to serve. Or you know what? Today, I'm just not doing good. Whatever it is. And the whole body gets affected. You ever been there? That's the beauty of us. What does that mean? We all need each other. The hand, the foot, the toe. Every single one of us needs each other in the body. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. It talks about a man who is rebuilding the engine of his lawnmower. And when he finished it, when he finished, he had this one little small part left. And he couldn't remember where it went. He was looking all over, looking at the instruction guide. And he couldn't figure out where it went. So he started the engine and it ran great. And he figured that that part was useless. I've done that so many times because I'm not good at building stuff. And so he tried to stop the lawnmower and then he noticed, oh my goodness, it does not stop. So what's so important is that one little piece. He needed it for the end. So even the smallest, seemingly least important part of the body is important. As we end, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read three scriptures with you. And as we stand, I'm telling you that we live for God. And you serve and you minister to one another. Can you say that with me? I minister to one another. It's not just for God, but it's for each other in which God then is glorified. Because all of it, when it's done, as we are stewarding and as we are stewards of this complex, varied, what I call the manifold, what scripture calls the manifold grace of God that he's given us. We're able to serve, we're able to minister to one another, and all of this is reasoned and its purpose because we live for God. Here's three scriptures I want to share with you. Ephesians 5.21 says this, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a powerful scripture. One, one translation says it this way, submit to one another for the fear of Christ. You're called to what? It's for each other. Peter Peter is so important as we end here. He's gone through this so much already in this letter, verses one, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And now in chapter 4, we say, why, Peter? Why do you continue to speak about the brotherhood, about the church? And the only way I could answer this as I'm studying 1 Peter with you, it's because it happened in his day. And he knew that as long as the church continues to live on, they're going to what? They're going to have problems and fractions with each other. So I need a letter to remind them that if they're called to do anything, it's not to cause strife with one another. It's call, they're called to serve one another, to pour out their gifts for each other. Ephesians says, submit to one another out of the fear of Christ. Romans, Paul says in chapter 12, verse 10, you love each other with genuine affection and you take delight in what? In honoring each other. Do you take delight in honoring each other? You love each other with genuine affection. Come on. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, and I end. He says, therefore, encourage one another. We've read the scripture already throughout this series. And build one another. Well, you know what? God needs to build you. No. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Come on, church. You live. You live for God. Amen. I want you right there where you're at. Just to meditate there and meditate there in your heart. I want you to really be honest with yourself. And I want you to really examine yourself. Come on, you live for God and you've been touched by the grace of God and because of that grace now, you live for the honor and for the obedience unto the Lord and for the honor unto God and not only that, but now you live for each other because of the grace of God, you're able to minister, to serve, to hold each other up. Because of the grace of God, I live for God in my own private life, in my own personal walk, but I also live for God alongside you. As I serve Him and as I also serve you. Come on. Because of the grace of God, that's it. And maybe you're there and you're examining your heart and you have to answer some of these things today. You need to be real with yourself today. Be very honest between you and God. Come on, what's the work? What's the sacrifice? That needs to happen. That's going to hurt, but it's worth it. Come on, what's the ring and the fight that you need to start fighting? And I'm here to tell you that it might not be just for a moment. It might be for the rest of your life. But if it's in obedience to the Lord, it's worth it. Get in the ring and fight. His grace is sufficient for you. Come on, how many of you need to just serve one another, serve better? You have a gift you could even... Give it to each other here amongst the family. Come on, you're going to get over yourself and over your ego and over your own pride maybe. Over someone else's ego, over someone else's pride maybe. Over someone else's sin. Over someone else's maybe wrongdoing. It doesn't, it's not, it, doesn't have, it doesn't have to always be you. But you still do it. Because you know you're called to serve each other. Because of his grace. Come on, you live for God. And in living for God, you also live for each other. Come on, examine your heart and really see where you're at. And make key decisions. Be responsible right now for your life. Stand before the word of God and answer to it. Be held accountable to the word of God. And answer to that word that we just shared today. What are you responsible for? What do you have to answer to? Thank you, Lord, for this reminder. The word of God is, we could laugh, we could cry, we could also sweat. Because, Lord, your word does that. It doesn't just make us always feel good. Sometimes your word really challenges us and really confronts us. It may make us feel bad, but it's always for our good. And we thank you because we don't have to hold back ever in this place in our nest we don't ever have to hold back of your word your word is a, holds us accountable to the goodness to the righteousness of God I'm going to ask the gentleman that will be handing out 
the elements of the Lord's Supper just to come up here and I want you right there where you're at to spend a minute or so just examining yourself and really just speaking to God just speak to him for a moment and if you've been saved and you believe in the body that was beaten for you the blood that was shed for you we're going to ask you to partake in the Lord's Supper with us before we go out there and eat burgers and stuff but before we do that just spend a moment right now just spend a moment with the Lord and speak to him hallelujah received one everyone has received if not they'll pass them around go ahead and rip the first little layer off and I know it's just a little wafer a little I don't even know what you call this thing some sort of I'm scared to call it a cracker but there's a scripture there's a few scriptures but Jesus one day is eating with his disciples and we know that he takes some bread and he begins to bless it. And he breaks the bread into pieces. And, and as he breaks it into pieces, he gives it to the, he passes it on to the disciples. And he says some to, something to them very important. He says, take this and eat, for this is my body. This is symbolic. And today this represents what Jesus did on that day, which is to take the body of Christ that will be given to us. Come on, because of this, man, we live for him. Today, Lord, we thank you because of the body that was sacrificed, the Lamb of God, the atonement, the substitute. You took on the cross that I, that we should have taken, the, the shame that we should have taken. And you suffered because of your love for every single one of us. And because of that, Lord, we're willing to suffer. 
because of the love that we have for you. As we just learned in today's text. So Lord, I thank you for your body. I thank you for giving of yourself, Jesus, so that I could have new life. So that I could be drawn to the Father again. I thank you, Father, because I was an enemy. I was alienated and I was far living in my wild parties in my sick wickedness. But because you gave your son, I now too have become a son of God. And I could now look at you and cry out to you and say, Abba, Father. Thank you, Father, for giving Jesus so then that way you could receive us as well. So church, take as this represents the body of Christ. So he gave the body and they broke it and they ate he took wine out and as he took out the wine he gave thanks for it and then he gave it to each one of them and then he said this each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive sins of many. I love he says, mark my words. I won't drink this wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Lord, we pause this moment and we thank you for the blood that was shed on Calvary even before Calvary, the beatings, the punches, the kicks, the horrible whipping that they gave you. You were on the cross, naked blood, soaked in your own blood. Face was unrecognizable, your beard was ripped off. You were swollen. And in that moment, it wasn't about colors. You were covered with your own blood for all humanity. You were covered in blood. But before you covered yourself with blood, you told your disciples and you told the church, as they told the church, to do this often. And you said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which now your sins are forgiven. And if you're in this room today and you think your sins are too much, this is what this is about. It's a reminder to you to tell you your sins are not too much, that my blood cannot cover it, that my blood cannot forgive. This is the blood that was shed. I am the Lamb of God, he's telling you. And this blood was shed to forgive you of your many sins and to draw you in once and for all. So today, if you need to hear that, he says, I f not forgive you, I have forgiven you. 
my blood does pour out on you. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill this place. The blood of Jesus runs in this place. The blood of Jesus runs. Come on. Every sin is forgiven. Every life is redeemed. Every heart is healed. imagine what you look like on that cross hanging naked bloody wounded hurt but in your mind though I was not born though I was not in existence I existed in your mind I was thought of in your mind and you said for the love I have for you because one day you'll come to this earth and you'll know what I've done for you disciples would take the cup that was passed to them and they drank this wine as it was symbolic for the blood of Christ which now brings us into covenant again with God and that the promises of God for this day and forevermore are yes and amen for me because of his precious blood come on family receive that which represents his blood today. Can you hold the hand of the person next to you? Maybe you need to stretch out to reach over to the person next to you. Maybe you have to reach out and lay hands on the person behind you. Not one of your hands should be left empty. Hold someone's hand. one of you are holding hands we're all connected right now we're all connected between aisles between rows between chairs and Lord this is your body right here this is part of it we're a nest and we're a nest family but this is part an intricate a piece a part of the body of Christ and it's important and you are important if you're here today you're important and you are part of something that is very important, the most important thing on this earth. Lord, as we hold hands, I thank you because you're calling each one of them, each one of us to live for you. And in living for you, we also are called to serve each other. I pray, Lord God, that you would do that miracle in every single one of them that as we hold hands and we're all united in this place, that we could recognize that this is for the glory of God because of the grace of God. That they would live for God, that we would live for God and that we would minister and serve one another with a good heart, humble heart, 
Thank you for this family. Maybe there was something in today's service that I would have enjoyed it to be a little bit different. Maybe there's, if I could change some things, I would have changed some things today. Oh, maybe I'm not happy with the way everything went today in today's nest service, nest gathering. But today, Lord God, I happily will say there is no other place I would rather be than right here, right now, with these people. Yeah. Regardless of everything else. And I thank you for this family. Yes. And make it just that. Make it more that. Yes. Well, how do I become family with others? Maybe it starts with just, just minister. Minister to one another. Love one another. And let the family become richer. Come on, you live for God. Lord, we thank you for such a beautiful Sunday. We pray that you would bless us richly, and I mean financially, richly for VBS. And that we would, through these burgers, chips, and sodas, collect so much funds today. That our kids would be so blessed in a couple weeks for VBS. That that would be the greatest, Lord, be with Lord, that that would be the greatest $50 burger we've ever had. <laughs> Amen. Just joking, Lord, but whatever. We can't that we would do it for the kids, Lord. Lord, we love you, Lord. You're so good. So good. I almost don't want to say amen because I don't want to leave from this place. But I guess we have to. We love you, Lord. It's in your holy name, Jesus. Together we say Amen, amen. Can you give God some praise? Don't.